From the offices of Cocktail Collective, this is Cocktails Distilled, a podcast that takes your favorite spirits and liqueurs from the still to the cocktail glass. In each episode, we talk to distillers and creators about particular expressions that their brand have released, what they are, why they were created, and in what cocktails they can be used. Are you ready to understand what's in your glass, or perhaps should be? Welcome to Cocktails Distilled. Some may say nothing captures the aesthetic of Miami better than the flavors of coconut and rum. And today, many may say that no one represents that aesthetic better than brother and sister team Mike and Danny Zig. Born in Miami, yet with a lifetime of travel between the US, Guatemala and El Salvador, the Zig started off with a humble coconut, but now have a rum company that is definitely turning heads. Thank you for joining me, Danny and Mike. Thank you so much for having us. Hey, how's it going? So where did the name Coconut Cartel originate? So the name kind of came organically to us. We grew up on a show that was the precursor to Narcos called El Cartel de los Sapos. Um, this was something that you'd buy bootlegs at every gas station in Guatemala and El Salvador. Um, and as we were smuggling coconuts from Guatemala and El Salvador up to the States, we're doing it in our luggage very much a la cartel. So joking around, I, I replaced sapos with coconuts with cocos and then yeah. translated it to English and it stuck. Now tell us a little bit more about the smuggling coconuts. Oh, uh, so when I first tried the coconut that, that launched the whole business, I Googled how to bring coconuts up into the States and it said that a coconut is a nut, not a fruit. So I put it in my luggage and I put it to the stress test and I got it through. That's that's how we started right. for the first couple months. And how did they become so successful? I mean, is it true that the coconuts were often spiked with rum and how did they end up in the hands of so many celebrities? So we got lucky that we were working with, with places such as Soho House and Standard that are already like celebrity hangouts. Um, one day I just happened to be delivering coconuts and Drake and his entire friends were there. His entire group of friends were there. So obviously I had to get coconuts into his hand. And same thing with Martha Stewart and Prince Harry, etc. And so how did you go from smuggling coconuts to starting a rum brand? So we, everybody that got into the coconut game early on decided to go after the healthy consumer and go after the groceries and like, I mean, basically kids' lunchboxes. We decided to go the other way. We became the ipso facto coconut water of the spirits game. We collaborated across the board with lots of rums, tequilas, vodkas. And what we saw people gravitating towards the most was actually the idea that we had was spiking it with a, a shot of Central American rum. Uh, be it that we're from Guatemala, we we had the opportunity to go down to talk to some producers down there that, that don't really open their doors to many people. And over the course of a few years, we we formulated and agreed upon like a, a pretty cool situation with them that affords us the opportunity to sell super premium rum cut with our coconut water, which is the cocktail that was made famous here on the beach. So it is very much the coconut water that makes the coconut cartel rum unique. Yeah, I mean it's there's 
it, there's something about coconut water that cuts the bite off any alcohol. So it just makes it very smooth. What you end up with is like a smooth tropical whiskey. But with very much a coconut flavor to it? It's not, I wouldn't say it's very much a coconut flavor. I would say it's more, you get the, 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 the same feeling that you get when you drink with coconut water. So kind of like every other coconut rum that's out there that tastes like sunscreen, we went the opposite way. This is very much rum forward with the properties right. of coconut water. So it's very smooth. Okay. Now, if people aren't familiar with Guatemalan rum, what makes it so special? I'm a big believer in that the terroir really affects anything that you drink or you eat. Um, Guatemala just happens to have the perfect storm of volcanic ash soil. Uh, we've got lowland sugar and they, then we've got the highlands. We've got pl different places to age this rum. Um, fortunately, we have, there's places in Guatemala that are cold. So that's where they, they actually age this rum, allowing it to really get the flavor from the wood. Um, right. and also I, I assume you it's... wouldn't have much angel share. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. It, it's a much longer uh, aging process. So what we're doing, we have a 12 year old rum in our in our blend right now, and you can really taste that the wood from there because it it just it's it's just it's a slow process. It's it's nice. And what sort of wood is it actually aged in? Uh, it's charred American white oak. When doing the blend, what particular qualities were you looking for? We really wanted to replicate what we what we had here in Miami that with it that just became such a staple here in on the beach, which is just a smooth rum forward. I, 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 it's kind of hard to explain until you try it. It's we just wanted to make this tropical whiskey. We wanted to break the stigma of coconut rum, just like uh, plantation pineapple did with their pineapple rum. What yeah. coconut rum shouldn't be suntan lotion. And we, we really feel that we hit that on the, on the dot. Very rum forward, very smooth and very dry. The opposite of what people are used to. Do you think that the brand suffers a little bit from, shall we say, some of the bigger players doing that very commercialized coconut rum? I do believe that they do rum a disservice by just keep pumping out this suntan lotion, but it's okay. They, they have their, their, a different clientele. We're, we're really, uh, fortunate to be riding on like a new wave of, I guess, the rebellious rums that are coming into the category. We like being the underdog. So we're going to let the big guys do what they do and we'll just continue giving coconut rum some justice. Coconut Cartel has very much a Miami aesthetic. What do you think gives it that tone? We grew up here. This is like, it's it's in our DNA. Um, it's just something that you're either from Miami or you're not. And, and, and when we, I mean, living here, we see people come and go. This is just something that's been a constant in our life. Uh, the aesthetic here has always been kind of like vacation every day. So when people live in an apartment complex, that apartment's on the beach here. So every apartment has its own brand. We, I remember seeing uh, napkins from the jockey club or bags from like the Mutiny Hotel back at my house. And that's where my parents were hanging out. So I guess it's just memories. Uh, Miami, we're known for the best sunsets and stuff. So that's also a big inspiration in, in a lot of the aesthetic here. Um 
pelicans are i mean everywhere here our house has pelicans embossed in the walls so i don't know it's it's just something in our dna that we naturally gravitate towards how difficult is it to take a brand that is so heavily within one city's culture and transport that to the rest of the u.s Here's the beauty of, of Miami. At one point of most people's lives, they want to visit or have visited Miami. It's a, it's a big destination here. So what we're being able to do is bottling up that vacation and something that they can take home with them. And that's something that we're very excited to do because we think this is finally a product that Miami can export proudly. There's a big difference between smuggling coconuts and spiking them and actually bringing out an alcoholic spirit. What would you say you've learned from being in the spirits business that you didn't expect? Um, I'll jump in on that one. <laughs> I deal with more I on the logistics side of things. Um, but essentially, I think the one thing that we really learned was that the barriers to entry are a lot higher than we thought they initially would be. So just regulation, you know, imp- everything from importing to how you label the, the the labeling requirements and laws and all of those nuances are something that make it difficult for someone who hasn't been in the space to understand. So uh, it was important for us to gather resources and, and, and people around us to help us navigate uh, all of those, you know, hoops that we had to jump through to figure it out. Um, so in entrepreneurship in general, I would say that spirits is a pretty tough category to, you know, come into. It's not uh, setting up a T-shirt, you know, store online. Mm. It's 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 setting up a very complex um, supply chain um, that's very quite expensive and 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 intense to get going. So, um, but the you know benefit of that is if you're able to get through that and you're able to build your 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 system and and your supply chain and your partners and and all that you're you're good you're you're locked and loaded like you don't have, you know the competition uh it's not that easy for someone to just come up right behind you to to uh compete so the harder the harder it is the you know the kind of the better it is almost uh in some cases so that was definitely a learning experience <laughs> you, you yeah. kind of jump into it and you want to do something cool and then you're like oh my god this is actually pretty hard how long was the process? And in the, and in the community is pretty. The process mm, it was about two to two and a half years from like, you know, first formulations, um, you know, different visiting different distilleries and figuring out uh, importing like who are you going to import with licensing, um, uh, lots of lots of lawyers, <laughs> an army right. of lawyers to make it work. <laughs> Um, but yeah, it was about a two, two and a half year process before we actually had a bottle officially imported in the States that I could legally sell. And are you bottling as well as blending down in Guatemala? Or? Yeah. So the first couple batches that we made, we brought, um, we brought it up from Guatemala uh, in bulk and we bottled it here in the United States. There's, um, right now there's some, uh, cr- sort of craft spirits modernization act things that um the government has put in place that made it enticing to do that right um yeah. so that's how we sort of we took advantage of that and that's something that we learned to, to when you're doing a small batch uh to do uh but now moving forward everything is bottled and blend uh, blended and bottled in guatemala our coconut water is you know it's, it's all everything is local there so it's just easier for us to keep everything there and it's um 
using fresh local ingredients and um, sort of simplifies also our supply chain, just keeping everything in one place. Now, if someone were to buy a bottle of a coconut cartel for the first time, what sort of flavors does it impart? You you said that it was very rum forward, but within that, what what are you looking at? So yeah, no, it's it is very rum forward. It's sometimes people expect to, that it'll be very sweet. They think of like a coconut rum, and they think it's going to be like sunscreen and very sweet, but it's actually quite the opposite. It's uh, very dry. It's oaky, very very oaky. It's like it's as if it was just you know a. It, we call it a tropical whiskey because it does have that like feeling of like a dry whiskey that you you know you drink on ice. Um, but then you get um, some vanilla, you get the molasses in there, and then obviously you get the coconut. But you get the coconut mostly when you drink it on ice. So if you drink it neat, it's you know mostly you get the oak and it's a lot more intense. But then it changes, like it just does a one eighty flip to something completely different once you let it start opening up um, with ice. Uh, and it just we we say take a trip with every sip because not one sip is going to be the same. It goes sort of morphing all right. the way through, and it's different and delicious the entire way. What cocktails works well with the coconut cartel? Well, I, I go with classics. Um, an old fashioned is my favorite. Um, so that's what we like to promote and have people, um, you know, stirred cocktails and old fashioned so that people uh, start changing their perception of rum. So when we work with bars and restaurants, we sort of encourage them to make uh, stirred drinks and and and, co- and and old fashions because they're more rum forward. And so people, when they sip it, they're like, "Oh wow, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't know I like rum." Um, and it has less additives and less modifiers in it, so they can really just taste the spirit. Um, but then besides that, you know, you also have like the um, you know the classic rum cocktails, which would be a pina colada, which we like to do a we call a cartel colada, which is just coconut cartel, pineapple, lime, and bitters. So there's no like added Coco Lopez or, or coconut milk in there. Um, so we play yeah. on both sides of the spectrum. We like to do the stirred cocktails and we like to do the classic, you know, rum cocktails on the other end. And it works really well. You can basically, you can basically switch out coconut cartel with any spirit in any classic cocktail, like a Negroni or a Manhattan, like you could switch it in and, and it'll work really, really well. Now, if people um, are using it for the first time, how would you suggest they use it? Should they try it in a little bit more of like a highball, <laughs> simplified situation? Yeah, it depends on <laughs> it depends on how aggressive they are. But it's actually I, I kind of think of it as like an entry level or an approachable sipping, like a dark sipping spirit. So, you know, obviously the more seasoned drinkers, you can drink this neat. Um, then we'll encourage people to try it just on ice. And that's how it was intended to be consumed. Um, and even people who are like not big drinkers um, and usually, you know, go for like a very fruity cocktail or something to sort of mask the taste of alcohol, they're comfortable drinking it on ice. Like it's so smooth. It has no bite. And then they just get a little bit of the tropical flavors in there. But they, they find it to be really nice. Um, but if you need to, if you need to put something in it, we're, highball lovers over here so a little ginger ale or just even just a little um sparkling water or soda water uh is perfect but i i don't like to mix too much into it it's just either that or drink it on ice okay it's very very easy now if people are experimenting what flavors work well i mean are you looking at other tropical flavors like pineapple and things like that yeah, to bring it out in a sort of a tiki-esque fashion or 
would you move away from those tropical? So, I mean, we, we play on both during the summertime. It's just, you know, the obvious classic tiki drinks and things like that. It's delicious. And like, you can upgrade a pina colada with this rather than using like a filler rum in a more, you know, nicer place. Um, so obviously flavors of pineapple and passion fruit and watermelon and these tropical flavors go well with it. But we like to play mostly with flavors that we say are from like the terroir. So flavors that are regional to the Central American area. So that's banana. So we do stuff with like banana liqueurs, um, coffee. So we like to do a carajillo. Okay. So, you know, coffee, banana, sugar, obviously is from the region, coconut, obviously coconut water. Um, and then tropical stuff, you know, obviously is, is, is a no brainer, but we like to stay on the, the terroir. How important do you think to the future of rum is Tewa? We we say here all the time that like we'd love to make Central America sort of like the the Napa Valley of rum because that's what we you know we grew up drinking that. So my brother and I we grew up drinking uh well not too young but we were <laughs> surrounded by <laughs> rum growing up in yeah. Central America and we know that people in the Caribbean can say the same. So for us, it's very much a national pride thing. So we say when we were able to tell people this is Guatemalan rum, to us, that's a status symbol. That means that this is really, really good rum um, because it's people who have been making rum since like, you know, back in the day, like it's, it's in, during Spanish colonies, even, you know, it was a very old yeah. thing that was going on. So it's it's part of our uh, our history. So I think that does play a part in telling people and in, in people identifying, they'll start figuring out, oh, this is a Guatemalan rum or that's a Nicaraguan rum or that's a Jamaican rum. Like it'll start giving it its its characteristics because some and are, you know, Caribbean rums are almost. so different. Yeah, yeah, no, Caribbean rums are so different to Central American rums. Central American rums grow, you know, they come from cane and they're aged usually in like lower temperatures and are made from uh, sugar cane honey rather than molasses. Versus in the Caribbean, things are aged at a much higher temperature because it's just it's much hotter there. You're at, you know, sea level um, mm. and it's made usually with like a darker molasses. So it really does vary. Do you think rums need to be further categorized so that it's a little bit clearer for consumers as to what flavors they're actually getting? Yeah, I think um, that's an important point because you can categorize, you can call rum a lot of, a lot of things can be called rum. Um, and a lot of rums are packed with sugar. A lot of them are packed with caramel and are packed with, uh, flavorings and, uh, the consumer doesn't know that. So their initial, a lot of consumers, the reaction that we get at the beginning is, Oh, rum is sweet. I don't want that. And it's like, well, actually, you know, it's, it's not if it doesn't have added sugar, actually all alcohol when it's distilled is just alcohol. So, you know, if you have a pure rum, it actually doesn't have any more sugar than a tequila would, but the consumer right. doesn't know that. So I, I do think that there needs to be a little bit, uh, you know, some, some, some changes to happen in the categorizing of it so that people understand really what rum means. Now people keep talking about rum being the next big thing. Are we there yet? Depends what part of the world you're in. <laughs> um, in for me, it's always been there, obviously, because I, I grew up in it. 
Um, yeah. and I, and like I said, people in the Caribbean has always been there, but in the U S there's definitely a major, uh, education that needs to happen. Um, because people's perception of rum is, oh, I drank a handle of that in college and I had a terrible hangover and I want nothing to do with it. Um, and so when you are, you know, you, you have to convince them it's like, no, 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 try this. It's different. It's not, it's not, it's, it won't, it won't give you a bad flashback. So there definitely is still some negative in, in, in certain demographics, right? Cause like if you go right. to a younger demographic, a college demographic rum is very prevalent, but if you were to just go, you know, go to a, a higher uh, age group, um, there definitely is some, some mixed feelings about it. So I think once we get past that, education process and i think it's happening i mean us being like a startup brand in in the space we're also keen to hearing about other brands that are coming into the market um you know obviously we have investors and and things like that that are telling us oh well i saw a deck for this brand or that brand and you know they're coming so we see it coming and i think that a few of us um we're friends with so like lechicera rum in colombia is a fantastic rum the majority of the U.S. is very much a bourbon drinking country. Mm-hmm. How easy is it for rum to sort of sneak in and be adopted? That's a good question. Well, that's our that's our challenge right now is really getting those bourbon drinkers to try it. Luckily, because it's not it's not like traditionally what they expect from a rum. A lot of actually like bourbon whiskey rye drinkers. Um, when they taste it, they're like, oh, well, you know, I'm, I, I drink whiskey, but this is great. But sort of starts taking place on their bar carts as something right. that they can also, you know, sip on when they come home from work or when they have guests over. Um, but I don't think, you know, I don't think it's going to be that easy of a task. Um, bourbon drinkers and, you know, American made bourbon drinkers is definitely something that's very strong. It's a very strong brand. Um, mm. So it's going to have to take the angle of something that's imported. Um, and it's something like a different, you know, different or like special type, uh, specialty type thing for them, I think, before they, before they make that switch. I mean, bourbon is like for bourbon drinkers, it's like, you know, it's like water, it's a staple in their diet. So, um, it's, it's, it, it definitely is going to be a challenge, but I, I think that there's an opportunity in just the culture, how foodie, foodieism is a thing now, like people want to have a different experience. They want to taste, you know, the flavors of the world. It's a globalized um, foodie world too. Mm. So, you know, we might catch the interest of someone who wants to taste something from somewhere else. And who is your market for Coconut Cartel? It's a good question also, because it's been something that we've been seeing morph over the last, um, you know, year or so. Um, We thought initially that it would be I thought initially that it would be like women like me that wanted to like just, you know, <laughs> drink a dark spirit on ice. Um, uh-huh. It was like a badass, but something that was like easy to drink. So we were initially sort of targeting um, millennial women. Um, but it's been a 50-50 split between men and women for sure. Um, okay. We have on one side, we have also uh, the Latin drinker that has been consuming rum for a long time and they really like it. We have the sort of hospitalities and like high end venue drinker who right now is um, primarily ordering uh, tequila. <laughs> so tequila right. cocktails are mezcals, right? So we have, you know, those people that are like, oh, wow, I don't drink rum, but I like this rum. And so they start sort of playing with it. And so we've been positioning it um, in like menu space that 
attracts that drinker to, to show them something a little different. Um, and then we have, you know, Caribbean, obviously Caribbean market, urban markets, like hip hop entertainment world um, that traditionally has um, really liked, you know, like Hennessy's and, and cognacs and brandies and things like that. This is something that also attracts them. So it's, it's, it's across the board. We still haven't been able to sort of just define one single like demographic. It seems to be right. working across the board. Yeah. Have the celebrities that you attracted with the coconuts in the very, very beginning actually translated across to the rum? Secretly. Because once you right. once you become an alcohol <laughs> once you become an alcohol brand, it's no longer a cute little coconut innocent coconut brand. It becomes a high ticket price item, right? right. So <laughs> you can't uh, you can't get their endorsement that easily. Um, but yeah, we we do a lot of we we like to be backstage a lot, green room. So like if there's ever like sponsorship opportunities and things like that, sometimes we'll actually forego having the crowd and like the big exposure opportunities and would rather sort of get it you know behind the scenes and in, in green rooms backstage in music studios um on movie sets and things like right. that because um that's where we can we can um start creating relationships with celebrities and and, and maintain the, the, the relationships that we've had already um but yeah definitely we've had a, a handful for sure of of celebrities that that really like it and, and we'll see we've had actually some interest in some endorsement deals as well but we're not there yet so we'll, we'll see what right. happens Okay. And what's the reaction in the bartending community been to the rum? How have bartenders responded? So, yeah. So initially when we meet with bartenders, sometimes they have that like, ew, coconut rum, like I don't want to try it. What is that? <laughs> they have this like yes. yucky reaction to it, right? And that's that's especially when it comes in through like a you know, an introduction that they haven't even seen the bottle. Because if you if you see our bottle, our bottle is actually, you know, it's really elegant. It's a beautiful bottle that like looks really nice on any bar, like, you know, high end bar. So they'll see the bottle mm. and be like, oh, this is beautiful. Okay. And then they'll try it and they'll be like, wow, I didn't want to like it, but I really, really like it. This is not what I expected. And it's um, kind of the reaction that we've heard that Plantation Pineapple had um, when they okay. came out. The yeah. bartenders were hesitant. Yeah, they were hesitant because they're like flavored rums, like, eh, like I don't, yeah, I don't want yeah. it. But but <laughs> so then they tried it and um they're like very pleasantly surprised and were able are able to modify it in so many different ways that uh that they're actually you know making you know, sometimes they'll use it as a, a feature like a like the base spirit of a cocktail but it also blends really well with other spirits so we do drinks with right. like mescals and things so they're able to like add a little smokiness to it or they're able to add a little bit more of a kick to it because it's actually pretty light doesn't have a kick so they'll add sometimes some whiskeys into it to make it a little bit more of a kick. So it's a very nice base spirit um, with just like a nice little, very, very light tropical undertone. So they like it. Now, did you, when you launched, did you actually come up with any specific cocktails for the rum? No, not, we get this question a lot because it's like, you know, what's your Aperol spritz, right? Like what is your cocktail of choice? But really it's, it's on the rocks that's how we want people to to drink this because it was really designed for you to like you know crack it open with a group of friends and make it very simple you're just drinking it on ice and that's how we you know we grew up drinking rum was just on ice so that's how we designed it so when it came down to like okay we got to figure out like a featured you know cocktail with this oh my god we really just stay like like i said very close to old-fashioned type drinks um that's really what we you know because we don't want people also to 
just think that this is a, a summer drink. You know, the tr- obviously that's what you think, rum, summer. And so that sort of mm. narrows down the time of year that you can be um, promoting this. So we, we like to stay, we like to make drinks that um, across the board are going to work season-wise and in venues, right. different, you know, the, in, in any type of venue, like your neighborhood bar can make a killer old-fashioned and then the Four Seasons bar can make a killer old-fashioned. It's, uh, it's a classic and, and it, uh, it's really our go-to for it. Right. Okay. Now the rum is, I know, available on the east coast of the US. It is. is it across the US? Is it is it over on the west coast yet? Or so we are available online in forty two states in the US. So right. you can order it anywhere, but we only have physical distribution um, in Florida, New York, and New Jersey. Um, and we'll be launching uh, Southern California uh, at the end of the year. Right. So, you know, just building the brand where we can, you know, it's slowly and uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We want, we like to, we don't want to over, overextend ourselves. So doing it. And have you thought it right. all about international? Yeah, we have actually, we've had, uh, we have a, a great partner um, that we're starting to work with out in uh, Europe and Asia. It's a company called Proof Strength. Shout out to Proof Strength, but they're awesome and they are helping us sort of build our, our importer and distribution network out there. And we'll be our partners making sure that uh, the brand is is uh, represented right and, and and people, the market's educated. And so we're, we're excited about that. That'll be a, a 2020 move, though. I'm, I'm still working on those export this, documents. <laughs> so another That's if, a whole other supply chain. <laughs> so if you're outside the U.S., Coconut Cartel is coming. It's coming. It is coming with a vengeance. Excellent. All right, Danny, look, thank you very much for taking time to speak with us today. And thank you, Mike, also. And if anyone wants more information on Coconut Cartel, go to the website, which is coconutcartel.co. And we'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of Cocktails Distilled. Be sure to visit cocktailcollective.com.au to access the show notes. And if you like what you've heard, we'd love you to subscribe, rate, and give a review on iTunes. Until next time, cheers.